Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. And this is Anne and Ursula, and it is uh, Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, and uh, we are live for neuroscience, uh, transformational coaching, and consciousness. And uh, today we are um, going to talk about a really fascinating topic. We are going to talk about neuroplasticity. Oh, one of my favorite, favorite topics, because it's just such a big word. Um, <laughs> I know, it just sounds so smart, know, does it it's not? One of those, it's one of those words that if you, if you run around dropping it in conversation, people will think you're really smart. So <laughs> I know, and you are. So neuroplasticity, <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? Um, neuroplasticity is, I mean, what it basically means. Plastic, which I didn't know about that until I had to till I learned about neuroplasticity. Plastic means changeable. So the brain oh. so I always thought plastic was just this, you know, thing that gets produced out of petroleum somehow and, you know, we have it everywhere in our lives. But plastic actually the word means if something is plastic, it's moldable and changeable. And mm. so they used to think that the brain was kind of just the brain and what you had you had and um, that was sort of it. But what they're realizing now, and it's fairly new learning, like the last 20 years or so, is that the brain has an incredible, incredible ability to change, to use, you know, I like this term, to use real estate in a part of the brain that isn't being used, could, you know, can be used for something that it was never intended to be used for. We'll talk about what I mean by that a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, generally it's that... We can grow new neural connections in many parts of our brain. You know, I think that's uh, fascinating because I think uh, I certainly have used um, the inability for my brain to change for a number of years as an excuse not to learn anything new. <laughs> I, I love that you say that. You're, I, it's one of the things I love about you. It's just so flippant honest. Um, but you think about all the things we have about that. Oh, you, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yes. Yes, and I think there is a natural resistance to uh, stepping out of the learning comfort zone. Certainly for me, you know, neuroscience was one of them. I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go close to that subject or even be in the in the vicinity of it. Um, and I, I really have noticed that there, you know, there is a sort of a. If certainly for me, there was a natural resistance to saying, "Oh no, I can't learn that anymore. That's way too into." Intellectual. That's way, way too difficult. And what is true is that as I stepped into it and challenged myself, uh, my brain has, you know, learned more and more to be with this with ease rather than with resistance. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's, um, you know, one of the it makes me want to go into talking about the five keys to, neuro, to neuroplasticity. Should we go there? Yes, let's do that. Well, I, because I, I really um, I love this. This for me was a really important learning that one of the things that creates new neural connections in the brain is, duh, it makes so much sense, doing something new, novel. Mm-hmm. And so if you do the same old thing, if you've always done, you know, medium-level Sudoku, <clears throat> and you keep doing medium-level Sudoku, there's no reason not to if, it's, if it makes you happy, but it won't keep your brain agile because you're just using the same neural pathway. You know, there's a certain way to figure that out, and once you get good at it, 
it doesn't keep your brain as agile as if you go to the next level of Sudoku or you go to a different kind of puzzle. Um, we need mm-hmm. newness. We need novelty because then we send out a new neural, a new neural connector. Right. So uh, one of the keys to neuroplasticity, one of the five keys, is novelty, is new learning, is is a challenge to the brain, whether it's the next level of Sudoku, whether it's a new language, whether it is, um, you know, in my case, learning about neuroscience. I think uh, also what I notice of people of my generation is, is stepping into technology and constantly mm-hmm. learning new things there. So these are all examples of, you know, novelty and learning, how it helps the brain to stay plastic. That's, yes, absolutely. Ursula, I'm hearing a little bit of crackle on the line. I'm wondering if I have a bad connection. Are you hearing that? Um, a little bit. It's not. Uh, it's not really disturbing for me yet. Uh, it. It. I. I think we should be fine. Okay. So we'll keep going, and if it gets annoying, I will. I will try dialing in again, and 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 it's the wonders of technology. Absolutely. Yeah. There is a little bit uh, now. There is a little bit of a buzz uh, to it. Um, do you want to try dialing in and and see whether that uh, solves the problem? I can, you can keep everyone entertained and I will dial, um, I will just dial right back in. Okay, that sounds great. Okay. So while Anne is doing that, um, I want to just, maybe just highlight um, what the five keys to neuroplasticity are. Um, So one of them we've just talked about, which is novelty. It's the the brain's um, need and ability to constantly learn something new. So that is one of them. And then there are uh, three keys to neuroplasticity that are sort of like what I would call um, sort of obvious. Uh, one of them is is nutrition, particularly um, vitamins and minerals that help the brain be healthy. That is that's that helps the brain be be agile. And um, it's um, hello, you are back. I am back. Sorry about that. This does sound better. Yes, it does sound much much better. I was just saying that uh, so. The five, I was just saying, you know, let's have an overview of what the five are, and then we go into each of the five separately. And I had just come to nutrition being one of the five keys. Yes, I love that. And I think about how um, I think it's really, really hard to eat well in today's society and how much our brain really needs that. And we need omega-3s. To build new mm-hmm. connections, our brain runs on omega-3s, things like walnuts and fish oil and flaxseed and all of that. That sounds a little weird. If you want to have a strong and healthy brain able to make new connections, you've got to figure out how to add that stuff into your diet. And I don't know about the rest of you, but there was something for me about learning this that I got really – it was like, okay, well, my body seems like it's doing okay, but when it comes to my brain, gosh, I really need that. So I really changed my diet when I learned that it had an impact impact not only on sort of the the rest of my body, but on my ability to um, stay focused and think. Yeah, I think there is, you know, I think there is such value in knowing why we are doing certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, talk about another key to neuroplasticity, which is exercise, which I think... uh, 
a lot of people have a lot of shoulds around and, yeah. you know, guilt and there's never enough time for that. But again, if you know that your brain functions better with particularly aerobic exercise, mm-hmm. I understand, yep. it, all of a sudden the motivation to, you know, to run and, and you know, get that body moving is, is sort of different. Yeah, it is. It adds another level of it adds certainly adds another level of motivation. And well, we used to going to come back and talk about them. So let's see. We've had exercise, novelty, um, nutrition. Uh, nutrition, sleep. My favorite, sleep. Yes, <laughs> we need to sleep. I know we need to get enough of it, which uh, I think is about uh, like between seven and eight hours, right? Seven to nine, seven to nine hours. Oh, seven to nine. Oh, gosh, I'd never get that. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, everything's on a continuum, but it is. Well, we'll come back and talk more about why that is. So we've had novelty is one. Uh, nutrition, exercise, sleep, and then number five, I think might be one of our favorites, and it is the close focus of attention. I love that one because it is um, it is one of the keys that is is unusual. I think mm-hmm. that it's it's. I think we should define it first. What what that actually means, and it's really. Um, I find it really really cool. Yeah. So um, the. What, how do you want to define that? I think that's, that's a great idea. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying any attention, so you'd better define it. <laughs> Good enough. I have a definition. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what what it means for me, the close paying of attention is really uh, the focused, the way the brain can focus intently and intentionally on one thing. Right, and so it could be that this is like studying when you're really, you know, really wanting to learn something new. You're really focusing in your attention. Um, it can also be um, forms of mindfulness, mm-hmm. so that you are focusing your attention on um, your breath, for example. Mm-hmm is another thing that will contribute to kind of overall brain health and the ability to to, um, focus on body sensations or breath um, will help with this whole arena of neuroplasticity. So do you want to go back through and talk more about each one? Is that a good Yeah, that'd be great. Yes, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, Which one do you want to – which one is sort of like your – the one that appeals to you the most today? Oh, you know, sleep. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about sleep. Uh, you either have, have gotten enough of, of a bit or not enough. <laughs> so, um, and just to let people know, we'll, we'll put this out on our website. We'll put a, we have a little um, write-up about the five keys. So if you're trying to remember what did Anna and Ursula say, you can go to beaboveleadership.com, and I will post it in the, on, under the blog, the five keys to neuroplasticity. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Then you can just relax. You don't have to take notes. So, um, could you well, also I, put it? Uh, could you also put it on Facebook? I can put it on Facebook as well. Absolutely. Because I know that some of our listeners um, uh, get uh, connected on Facebook, so that might be another great way uh, for so them to get that. All of our Facebook fans. Um, I <laughs> my mind is on sleep because you know, um, being in a relationship with a South American, he really believes in siestas. It's it's just love. <laughs> Lovely, you know. I feel like I'm just getting getting wonderful sleep. And what? So the the question is, what is it about sleep 
that is so important to our brain's ability to make new connections. Yes, and I, I love the way you always put that. Um, it is really, um, it's um, it's almost like a computer that is cleaning out all the unnecessary um, information that gets gets all the unnecessary input uh, yeah, into exactly. the brain and filtering filtering that out. Exactly. We take in so much information every day. It's really, our brains are really amazing, amazing yes. devices. Um, and it, 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 one of the things that people tell us when they come through our program is they get like a much greater uh, uh, respect for both sides of the brain. And you think about our right brain takes in all of this information. And then the left brain kind of combs through and decides what to focus on and what to ignore. And if we didn't have that, um, we would really be in, in – it's difficult to function, at least in human bodies. And if you want to hear more about that, Jill Bolte-Taylor's TED Talk, My Stroke of Insight, or her book, really talks about this well. So mm-hmm. we get, like, just overwhelming amounts of information, and we're not even paying attention to a lot of it because we would just – our heads would explode. <laughs> at least it feels that way. So at night – it, this is what they think is happening, is that the brain is kind of combing through, deciding what to keep and what to let go of. We, you know, some of it gets let go of through our, through our dreams. And it's mm-hmm. like defragmenting a computer. Mm-hmm. With, and without enough REM sleep, where we go deep into that, that deep dreaming sleep, we end up with sort of a lot of extra connections and a lot of extra places for mental energy to go, not consciously, mm-hmm. but you can sort of think of it as freeway systems. Have you ever seen yes. a, free, a freeway under construction and there are these ramps that don't go anywhere? Yep. It's kind of like that. It's like you've got these ramps that don't go anywhere, and so your energy drives up to the edge. Oh, th- there's nowhere to go. I need to go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, it's like a one-way, one-way road that goes, right. that goes nowhere. So the... <laughs> The energy goes down those pathways and then ends up basically, you know, at a, you know, at a, at a, at a full stop sign. <laughs> at least that's. I mean, I have no, don't know if that's actually technically correct, but that's kind of how I think about the brain combing through and saying, okay, we're not using that. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, it's it's. I find this really interesting because I have noticed that when I don't get that deep enough sleep, I might get enough of the hours, but maybe I wake up uh-huh. a lot and you know yeah. I toss and turn. It often feels that my body, my physical body, is okay, gets up and can do its thing, but it often feels that my brain is not. It mm-hmm. feels like that it's really my brain is tired. It's it's not clear. It is fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's one of the interesting things that for those of you that have adolescents like I do, um, one of the things that happens in the adolescent brain, in the prefrontal cortex, which is the last part of our brain to develop, um, both evolutionarily and as we grow, as we grow up, um, is there's a whole process, and it's happening, my son is 16, it's happening for him right about now, that they call pruning that we're born with all of these potential neural connections and part of what needs to happen for us to mature and be able to use our brain well is the brain needs to say which ones are needed which one which ones are needed and which ones aren't mm-hmm. yeah no it's very that's that's really cool yeah so there's similar kind of thing and that's why one of the reasons sleep is really important and i love how you say 
and this is really true in the scientific literature that it does seem to be much less for the body. The body, the body can you know sit down for a while and be okay, but the brain needs to rest. Yes. Yep. No, I do. I do, and I think that uh, uh, you know the whole thing about a siesta or a, an afternoon nap. I I find that it's often not my body who needs it, but it is my my brain. You know, after a couple of hours of coaching and you know emails and logistics, it really feels that I need to literally put my head down, close my eyes, and not think about anything. And so I think, again, the mindfulness part, so we, we, you know, why don't we go back to the close paying of attention? Yeah, let's do that. That is is what I find so helpful, is that my brain actually gets a rest. It Mm -hmm. doesn't need to think about choices and yes and no's and what to do next and and you know asking questions with you know from with my clients it just gets to be in this beautiful calm space you know it's i I love that you that you looped us back to mindfulness it's just brilliant and it makes me think of um, a couple of a couple of really you know beloved leaders gandhi being one of them and the dalai lama being the other have great quotes about this apparently Gandhi was known to say, "Oh, I'm I'm way too busy. I need to go meditate." Yeah, and then I've also I, I, I love that. that I, mean, I, I when I heard that for the first time, this is <laughs> you know a couple of years ago. I thought, "Oh my goodness, that gives me me the constant driver who thinks who needs to run through the to do list no matter what. It gives me permission to stop. If well, Gandhi could do it with all he." <laughs> Then I certainly can. <laughs> With all of India. And apparently the Dalai Lama, if he's got a, the busier his day, the earlier he gets up to get in more meditation time. And what I notice is you say this, like when you have this busy day and you've got a lot going on, you and I have found this when we're really, especially with a lot of very intense mental effort, like designing mm-hmm. curriculum or trying yes. to, like for goodness sake, trying to figure out how to make the prefrontal cortex experiential. You know, <laughs> like, oh my God, I need it. You know, we'll look at each other and we'll say, oh my God, I need a nap. Or, or sometimes what we'll do is we'll put on a guided meditation Mm-hmm. In the middle of, of you know, a crazy day of designing curriculum and needing to lead the next day, refining handouts, we'll look at each other and we'll say we're no good anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. We'll stop. We'll put on a guided meditation. We'll take 30 minutes for a different way of focusing attention, which is really, really a mental break. And then we come back and we're able to go again. You know, the other thing I'm noticing, just as you're even speaking about it, um, I am sort of sitting back, more relaxed in my chair, while before I had my head literally stuck in the computer. <laughs> like tension, tension, tension. Gripping <laughs> my Ursula, desk. It's why we make it, Ursula host the show. It's good for her neuroplasticity to deal oh with my goodness. It's like right. I'm, I'm looking at my dashboard and, you know, and all that. And, and, and just as you were talking about, you know, the guided medication, I'm sitting back, my shoulders are relaxing. And what I'm noticing is I am breathing deeper. So mm-hmm. I think this is the other thing about mindfulness. I find that when I'm busy, I start breathing more shallow. And when I am in a more relaxed, calmer, more mindful state, I breathe deeper and I know that extra oxygen must be good for my uh, brain. 
Absolutely. And it's really it's really interesting as we talk about this close focus of attention because I'm aware that there's kind of two streams of it. So let me let's let's make that distinct. Um and let's talk about coaching. Um we do when I think I think about learning how to coach or learning any new skill. Um, mm-hmm. Part of what's so fabulous about neuroplasticity is you actually need to pay attention. So, um, you know, I'm learning Spanish or relearning Spanish, and I it really takes a lot in a good way because I have to really think. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, we don't have to think when we talk, and this is why people get into I like get and like you that. get in, get into trouble because they're not thinking when they're talking. <laughs> I, mean, I just wanted to say that this is why you and I get into trouble, right? Exactly in English, but I don't get into as much trouble in Spanish because I have to really slow down, focus my attention, be really aware, be really present, and so this is the this is the link to mindfulness. But also, it's there's it's a key to neuroplasticity in simple study. Sometimes I'll have students, for example, who are learning how to coach, just take a coaching session um, and just ask powerful questions, because mm-hmm. they're going to do a close focus of attention just on that skill. Forget the other skills right now. Just do that because what I'm wanting is to have them create a really strong neural pathway for powerful questions. Mm-hmm. It's like a drill in sports. Yep. Oh, yeah. Doing like the same thing. Yep. yep. Doing the same thing again and again and again so that the neural pathway is is being laid down and strengthened. Well, and then there's that. that um, uh, brings us to sort of physically what's happening, and people may know this, but I find it really fascinating, which is that, so, you know, you make a neural connection. You ask a new, you know, you're learning how to coach or you're learning how to do a backhand, for example. We'll we'll use sports. Ursula's learning how to do a backhand. She's an excellent tennis player, for those who don't know. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you. She's one of those tennis players that can put the ball exactly where she wants it, whereas I'm one of those tennis players who is thrilled <laughs> she gets it over the net. <laughs> Woo-hoo, it landed on the other side. So if she's practicing a backhand, you know, you do it once, the neurons fire, there's a, put, there's, a, there's a neural connection. And there's a saying in neuroplasticity, if it fires, it wires. It wires into a new pathway. And then every time she does that backhand, those neurons get coated with a thin sheaf of fat called myelin. Mm -hmm. And this is why we need those omega-3s, and we'll talk about that a little more next in our food, because that's where you're going to get your myelin from, and that's going to coat that neural pathway like uh, insulation on an electrical wire. And Mm -hmm. what they find is the more myelin you've got, the quicker the impulse goes. And so if you've got someone who has drilled you know, like Michael Jordan, drilled three-point shots, drilled, I don't know basketball terminology, but, you know, drilled on all the different things they do in basketball, and then he gets into a game. He is so well myelinated, everything happens quicker than it does for other people. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Well said. I mean, it makes it so clear to me, um, again, also what mastery is about, mm-hmm. you know, mastery in, in anything, uh, whether it's sports or, you know, you name it. Uh, there are some people that are just so, they also make it look so easy. And it really, I see the connection to uh, neuroplasticity and the, and the brain. 
Absolutely. They make it look so easy. And you can just, instead of being jealous now, you can say, well, isn't that person well myelinated? Which <laughs> <laughs> well myelinated jealous about, you know, what I know about neuroscience. Oh, gosh, that's, uh, that is fascinating. So you were saying there are two parts to close, the close plane well, of attention or two distinctions. Yeah, I mean, the one is really focusing in on, like, a skill and, like, trying the back end. The other is um, being really present in, present in the mindfulness yeah. that we were talking about. And I just wanted to distinguish those that they they um, they have a they have a connection. And the 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 more the the more you are really focusing your attention, the more present you actually are in this moment. Mm-hmm. So that is very that. very true. It gets rid of all the distractions and really. Uh, really helps us both focus and and concentrate, which again I would assume um, helps that particular um, pathway to get strengthened. Absolutely, it it really seems to, and I think this is why people who are you know t- you talk about flow or you talk about losing mm-hmm. track of time when you're really focused on something that you love, you're really you're just there, and it is. You know, where is the line between that and meditation? Certain forms of meditation, they're very, obviously, many, many different. Some of them are about emptying your mind. Some of them are about just being really, really present to everything that's going on. Um, But you can see the overlap there. And there's wonderful, wonderful research, a lot of it from the University of Madison, University of Wisconsin in Madison, about long-term meditators and how they have one of the things that they've found numerous things but one of the things they've found is they have more connections they have a they have a measurably thicker corpus callosum which is the connector between the right and left hemispheres so you wow you grow grow your brain parts of your brain and there's much there's lots of other things that that meditation is beneficial for so which again then also speaks to the you know the the case um against um multitasking oh, and that yeah. it can that it cannot be good for our brain when we have to constantly switch uh between many different uh many different uh, things versus being really present to one thing you know i'm really aware of that uh, right in this moment how you what what I do when 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 I'm in a case of uh, you know overwhelm is one thing that this sort of speaks to um, speaks to this is I really am trying to eliminate all the noise and say to myself okay you can only do one thing in this moment mm-hmm. so just focus on this mm-hmm. one thing right mm-hmm. now and when I do this overwhelm disappears. Mm. Because the distraction of the multitasking, you know, wanting to do this and that and this and that is just drives me crazy. Yeah, and they and it's um it's hard when you're you know, what they actually say about multitasking, I love that you brought that up, is that we we're not really capable of multitasking, really, unless it's something that we do that is very automatic and that mm-hmm. goes into into a part of our brain they call the basal ganglia, and that's sort of in charge of, of like like mostly drive. I mean, the analogy I use is driving. Mostly, yes, yes. You know, you and I can design curriculum while we're driving, while I'm driving, unless 
it's bad traffic or bad weather, yes. in which case I've got to take these automatic habits and bring them into consciousness, in which case I'll say to you, hold on, I can't really focus on that right now. And we've done this, right? Yes, yep. Absolutely. You know. Best example, last time we were together, I mean, traffic was a little heavier and uh, and there were multiple people in the car. So it's following that conversation while driving at the same time is uh, is not easy to do. And what I am noticing, I've actually gotten worse at multitasking, including driving and talking. Mm, interesting. And maybe it, is, it is fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating to me that, that, that I... Really, my preference now is to do just one thing. Yeah, and I think ultimately that is probably because you know you've you've become a more present human being, and you don't want to do that. I think about you know Alberto being from Chile. He doesn't have the tradition of doing a lot while you're eating. You know, I was asking him the other day, "Do you have a to-go cup?" He's like, "No, because I don't drink coffee while I'm doing something else." <laughs> you know. I, this is, I love that. You know, it's so here's another useless tidbit on the Block Talk radio show with Anna Ursula. For many years, European car makers wouldn't have cup holders in their cars. No, really? I yeah. love that. My, as you know, my husband being a driver of European cars until I don't know when it was the first time that he bought a European car that had a cup holder. And uh, both of us got so excited <laughs> saying, oh, the Europeans have caught on that the Americans actually bring their drink in the car that was a designated cup holder. Because we are dedicated to multitasking. I mean, we've got cars that have washing machines in the back. <laughs> I mean, my God. Talk about multitasking. Yeah. Well, what they say is that but multitasking really, I love that. Um, <laughs> what multitasking really is, is quick switching. For most things, yes. anything that actually requires your brain and requires yep. thinking that isn't automatic, it's you know, like, like we, there's so many things that we can do that are just sort of habitual washing dishes. We can talk and think and stuff like that. Although you'll even notice that if you're washing dishes and you're having a conversation and somebody asks you something provocative or really interesting, you'll yes, stop, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, and, and I've experienced that in your kitchen for sure as I'm washing the dishing, dishes and you're asking me something about curriculum that is just so fascinating or you're sharing, uh, you know, yet another neuroscience research with me. It's like I have to stop because I can't take that in while I'm washing the right. dishes. Right. You actually need a different level yeah. of focus. So anyway, it does take this quick switching. We always have a lag time to get back into it. And it does take away from really developing strong neural neural connections. Um, and so I, what I what I want to sorry, Deb, no, sorry no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What I wanted to do is is quickly loop this back to coaching, or you know, a, let's let's look uh, look at coaching because we're both coaches, and certainly um, a large part of our audience um, in our workshops are coaches. And I really, in this conversation, I'm really again being reminded how amazing coaching is particularly in these two um, uh, keys, yeah. the close paying of attention and novelty, coaching really is an amazing facilitation of that. Abs absolutely. I mean, and even at you know the Coaches Training Institute, we have a, a, one of our principles we call process coaching. 
and process coaching is nothing but the close paying of attention. It's, you know, if I'm doing a process coaching session, I am having my client pay really close attention um, through by listening to their body, by using metaphor. I am having them be so present to whatever it is that's going on that it always produces a profound shift. Sometimes that may take place over a number of sessions, but it it's like it's one of those things that just shifts people. And I think when I read about this key to neuroplasticity, I thought, well, that's got to be part of it. Is it mm-hmm. we, we hold them in this close focus of attention, and that somehow allows for everything to move. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, looking at novelty, if you think about all the uh, powerful questions that we ask our mm. clients. I mean, I think back, you know, many, many years ago when I first became a coach and, uh, you know, obviously then, you know, coaching is everything. You know, every conversation is about values and, you know, uh, and life purpose. I mean, there there aren't any other conversations. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what I really noticed is that many people, that, you know, that I would ask, it's, you know, what is your vision for the future, would never have been asked. this question so there is this novelty all of a sudden it's like huh i've never thought about what the purpose of my life could potentially be absolutely and or you know i say to say to uh, uh, student coaches that i'm that i'm teaching that it's like the coaches dopamine jackpot you know like you won the lottery when your client says oh that's a good question you're like yes yes that's great good question because I know. Oh, that is so. That's great. wonderful. Oh, that is fantastic. And that reminds me, dopamine. We we wanted to touch on that because yeah, wait, I think um, that, me, that's really important. Check, let me just check in and see if we've gone through the the five keys because we talked about sleep. We talked a little bit about nutrition and those omega threes. Exercise, aerobic exercise. We didn't really right. talk about that. So let's, which is also a source of dopamine. And aerobic exercise has shown, well, it increases oxygen levels, as mm-hmm. you said. If I'm breathing, well, that you're, you know, obviously we need that for neuron growth. The mm-hmm. brain is only 2% of our body mass, but it consumes 20% of our oxygen and nutrients. Nutrients. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing, Yep. So you're increasing oxygen with exercise, and it does has been shown to increase the volume of white matter, which again is that corpus callosum in between the two hemispheres and the gray matter and the brain itself. So the recommendation is three times a week, 30 minutes, and it, it just aerobic exercise. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It can just be going for a walk. So this is another tool Ursula and I will use also, if we feel mm-hmm. like, you know that, that where you feel like your brain is stuck? It's, just, it's like I've just thought too much. I've had too much thinking going on. We'll go take a brisk walk, and that is also really restorative to our ability to think and create again. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is, it's, uh, it's also getting out of the environment and moving your body and increased oxygen. I mean, obviously, if you go for a brisk walk or a run, you know, you have to breathe deeper. Um, you know, you just, that's just the way it works. And it's, uh, it really, I find it really is, for me, it's essential because I think I have that routine when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. 
And when I then suddenly don't have that, I mean, there's really something that's, that, that happens that makes me less effective. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's really an important way of, I think it's like when I think about sort of brain maintenance, and it's something I've become much more aware of um, as we've been studying the brain these last couple of years, is, is saying, what is it that my brain actually needs right now in order to operate effectively? And I think before, what I would do is just work myself into exhaustion and get, get to the point, and I think a lot of our... A lot of people in Western society, Western culture these days are at that point where they're, they've gone to the point of diminishing returns. Yes, yes, you know, without knowing it. Yeah, because it's just about, you know, I know organizations where the culture is 60 hours a week with the assumption that if you're not working 60 hours, you're not really dedicated. Yeah, yeah, and Rather, really, that it's re- it's really not effective when you think about the brain and the brain's capacity to think clearly. Exactly, but in in those cultures, to be able to say, "Oh my God, I'm really you know I've got so much going on on my desk. I've got so much to do this week. Here's what I really need to do. I need to go take a nap right now." <laughs> Yeah, that would be quite unusual. Although you and I know of organizations, uh, by there being both nonprofits, I think, uh, that have a meditation room. Yeah, and, and, or a na- you know a nap room because they a nap room. Yes, yes, that certainly under- would be would be that would be that would be rather unusual, I think. Yeah, it would something would have to shift in the culture really, which is part of I think our passion and why we like why we really love doing this is something needs to shift in the culture where people understand this is actually how we work, how we were designed to work. We were designed to work really efficiently with a lot of rest and play and humor. We also need for neuroplasticity, we need dopamine and dopamine yes. is this leads us into our our uh, fun little new study on dopamine, not ours, one we came across. Um, But dopamine is what we're, it's our reward. And so dopamine, when we're feeling happy, it's because we've somehow got dopamine going through our system, and there's many ways to get it, some that have positive outcomes like exercise, some that have negative outcomes like drugs and gambling. Those will, the reason we do drugs and gamble and things like that is they activate dopamine, they give us a reward, but then we get into this cycle of that's the only way to get the reward and we're chasing the reward or, you know, we got the reward at first, but it's interacting negatively in our brain and so the next hit of that drug only gets us back to baseline, not to the high again. So there's lots of problems there, but there's lots of natural ways to stimulate dopamine and it's part of what we need for brain health and just for our, you know, overall delight in life. So, all of that being said, we got the coolest, we found the coolest study. It just came across my inbox. So, Ursula, you have to, you have to like, tell what it is. <laughs> so cool. Well, I, I quite honestly think that uh, our whole adventure into Block Talk Radio was because of the study. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> because without what, knowing it. I know without knowing it, because when we get an opportunity to talk about ourselves, which in Block Talk Radio, we can, although we hope that it will still be helpful for other people. We hope um, there's someone listening, but if not, we're having a great time. <laughs> yeah, we're having, a, we're having a dopamine morning, so we're helping our brains, if not anyone else's. Talking about ourselves is, gives us a dopamine hit. I just love that. Talking that about yourself 
gives you a dopamine hit. So coaches, uh, just know, just by asking your client, how are you today? (laughs) And really listening and letting them talk about themselves, even if you don't do anything else, you are creating dopamine in their brain. Just for talking about themselves. And in fact, what the study found, which I just think is adorable, the study title was something like, um, and I'll put a link in the in the blog post I do. Oh yeah, please well, do. I think that's so funny. It's just a, I think I'll write one. You look for this in yourcoachingbrain.wordpress.com. I'll do. I'm gonna. I want to write about this. Um, basically, the study said people will. You know, amazing. Talking about yourself releases dopamine. People will pay for this. <laughs> And I said, get this, people will pay to talk about themselves. Thank God or we'd be out of a job. Oh, my goodness, that is so, hilarious. That is what they, so what funny. What they found is with, with very small amounts of money, they gave volunteers a chance to, they gave them a chance to answer certain questions. And so they could talk about politics, I think, or they could talk a, a personal question about themselves. And it And if they answered a question about politics, they got you know, like five cents, but if they answered a question about themselves, they got ten. And, and, no, the other way around, I'm sorry, they, they got more money, excuse me, if they, if they talked about politics. It was like five cents for politics, two cents to talk about yourself. And people vastly, they would give up the money they could have earned by talking about politics to talk about themselves. Now, I, I had to say... That does, not, that does not surprise me, you know. I don't know if it's still true when you get into real money. That's part of the problem of these research studies that say people will pay and they're working with, you know, like $5. Because, you know, it's not real money. But as we know as coaches, people will pay a lot of money. To- well, you know, quite honestly, I mean, I, I know how I feel when I get a chance to talk about myself. I mean, it mm-hmm. really, it feels good. It's a part of sharing. It's a part of connecting. Um, it just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's true. That is my experience. I feel better when I get a chance to share something about my life. And you think about our clients who will say, you know, um, will say things to us like, I feel so much better just from having talked to you. Even if, even yeah. if at the end of the coaching session perhaps nothing got resolved, perhaps you're thinking, oh, oh my God, I can't, they're so stuck, how am I ever going to help them? And they will say, oh, I just feel so much better. And I'm thinking, God, I didn't ask one good, powerful question. I mean, oh, my, you know, we were all over the yes. place. And I'm, yep. I'm not saying that I'm not... Uh, you know, advocating that as a method of coaching, but it does show how really lacking this is in life to listen yeah. and be really heard and how much people are craving it and how good you know, it is and the, the brain. Absolutely. And and if I now link this to novelty and the close paying of attention, um, really, I think in the coaching um, situation, you know, people get to talk about themselves, but it is it is in a space of close paying of attention. I mean, the coach really, really listens and really, really is present. And that creates an environment where the client knows it's not just rambling on and talking about, you know, the weather. It's, it is a sharing that is, that's a lot deeper. And I think that is the power. That's the Absolutely. power of that. The coach is play, paying really close. So if I'm, you know, if I'm on the phone and, and you're my coach and I say, oh, you know, yeah, I'm a, little, I'm a little stressed out about stuff that I have to do, the book I'm working on, and you say, really, tell me more about that. What in particular? All of a sudden, you have put me in a space mm-hmm. that's a close paying of attention, and I'm saying, I'm, 
you know, whereas just to my friend, they might say, oh, yeah, I get it. But they haven't helped me really focus in. You help me focus in. Yeah. And then you, you ask me a question and they say, you say, what is this, what's a metaphor for this stuckness? And I'm thinking, oh, now that's interesting. So then you've done novelty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. I love I love the link. I love the way you you put that. It's uh, it is in, it is incredible. And so, again, uh, the other, I, want, yeah, I want to add a, another thing to this in terms of yeah. coaching because this is something we started um, looking at in our classes, not from a judgmental point. Obviously, I don't have a thing about people. It's good to eat this way and exercise and sleep. It's good and right. I I don't have that, but what we now know is it's helpful to your brain. So we've started um, as we created a, just a little silly, simple coaching tool where we had coaches go work with their clients and do an assessment. How are you in your life overall in terms of the five keys? How, how are you doing? And it's yeah. a really interesting thing. Some of us have used, uh, have been taught to use like a wheel of life you know, yep. how, how are you doing in these different areas? This was kind of like a wheel of life, but saying, like, how's your brain health? How's your neuroplasticity? And it was really fascinating. People would say, I didn't realize I have no novelty in my life. I have nothing yep. that I'm doing that's new. That's fascinating. Yep. Yep. So one of the things we'll offer, you know, as a takeaway from this call is um, ask your clients, these are five things every brain needs. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, how are you doing with nutrition, you know, as it relates to brain health? How are you doing with uh, aerobic exercise? How do you how how are you doing with sleep? And then, you know, the other two that are, you know, sort of a somewhat unusual is how are you doing with novelty and the close paying of attention? Well, and, and- uh, you know, even if you're not a coach and, uh, you, you know, listening to our call, you know, just draw a circle with these little segments uh, on a piece of paper and ask yourself, well, where are you? What are you doing in these five areas? And um, what could you do that, you know, increases your own neuroplasticity? Yeah, I I just love that, and I think that, that feels like a really good note to end on for today's call. Um, we encourage you all to... Uh, up your neuroplasticity, and what I want to say is that a lot of us are feeling, you know, burnt out, and and you know, like life is sort of coming at us with overwhelm. What I what I really see in these five keys is these are these are doorways to help with the feeling of overwhelm, and yeah. we really really encourage you to use them. Yes, absolutely. Well, wonderful. Well, I've certainly had my dopamine time today, and uh, and I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, and uh, and we hope that uh, this was helpful. Um, again, our website is uh, beaboveleadership.com, and uh, and has a wonderful uh, blog called yourcoachingbrain.wordpress. Um, Dot com. And I want to also yes. uh, make a mention, we've talked a lot, talked today a lot about developing curriculum. For those who don't know, we offer an advanced coaching program for trained coaches. You don't need to be certified. You can be trained by any coaching school. And we have space still available in our retreat, which is in Whitehaven, beautiful Whitehaven, Pennsylvania, November 14 to 18. It's modules one and two of the program, really lovely, 
small group, we will be we will be experientially working with the brain and linking it to coaching, lots of new tools, and I think we still have a couple of spaces open, so we'd love to have you. If that doesn't work, we'll be in Los Angeles, and we're just about to set dates for Toronto. In two, we'll be in Los Angeles in um, the first uh, last part end of, of November. November. Yep. End of November. We'll be in Toronto in, in March. So uh, there you have it. We would, yeah, we would Please love to have us. you. Okay, my dear. Well, thanks right. for uh, sharing your uh, wonderful uh, information. And uh, as always, it's a delight to be with you. And uh, to all of you, have a fabulous day. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>